All right, hey everybody. Let me switch this to one that isn't so much my face. I'll do that soon. But good day and welcome to the Goad Kicker podcast, our first ever live Goad Kicker. We are broadcasting live from the Cornucopia 7. It's in a low geosynchronous orbit over the planet Earth, right over Iowa, USA, maybe a little into Minnesota, but that's where I'm broadcasting from. And um, I'm your host, Carl D. Smith. The D stands for donuts. And if this was my audio podcast, I would have theme music right now, but I'll be honest, I have not figured that out for Twitch yet. So, welcome all who've joined us live. Again, this is the first time I've attempted the podcast live, so bear with me. Um, Pretty neat platform, this Twitch. I'm only about 10 years late to the game here, and probably 30 years too old for such a thing. But um, I am recording it to post to the normal podcast stream. Um, One of the things I wanted to do in the year 2023 is continue to challenge myself to learn some new things. You know, podcasting was one of those things several years ago that I wanted to challenge myself to do. It was a natural progression from blogging and journaling and then uh, now streaming. I don't really have the face for streaming, but you get what you get and uh, you don't throw a fit, I'm told. Uh, So if I can find a hack soundboard app one of these days, I will add it and I will add my theme music. I will add applause, whatever you want. The best I could find, and this is something that's new to me, and you guys have probably been around the the bush a little bit, so you've you've seen some things, but um, everything is about audience engagement. You know, what keeps the audience involved with your streaming channel? And um, most of the soundbar uh, boards that I could find as extensions for the browser for Twitch uh, were audience-facing. And the idea is, is that you have all these disruptive and goofy sounds like a a drive time morning show would on the radio back in the day, but you let the inmates run the asylum. But in order to activate the sounds, um, they have to cough up an increment of bits, which is the currency on Twitch. Each bit is worth about, you know, United States penny. And so, you know, some of them cost 50, 100, 200, you know, 500, you know, the extra obnoxious ones, you would definitely want to make the, the audience member pay more for. And they feel like they're disrupting class and uh, you earn a little bit of coin in the process. Everybody wins. But um, I did not install that because I discovered it late in the day. And it really isn't on brand for what we're going to do here, which is a pretty good segue into what is it we actually do here? at the Cornucopia 7, at the Goad Kicker podcast. And um, I don't want to spend a lot of time apologizing or trying to explain who I am or what it is that I do because um, I feel like that's self-defeating, especially with my upcoming New Year's resolution to be better at self-promotion for myself, uh, for my brand, and for my books, uh, my writing. And uh, I feel like constantly apologizing for the quality or the content or, or so on. Um, it just, it's self-defeating. Um, but uh, I do want to explain because there may be some new viewers hopping on here as the channel goes live. My name is Carl Smith. I'm a pharmacist. Um, I'm a former minister. 
Um, actually, I'm a former pharmacist um, who uh, recently has made the jump to IT. Uh, if you hear some background noise, it's, it can't be helped. Um, I live in a house with my family, and I do not have a home studio. <laughs> I have a basement. Up until I went live on Twitch, uh, this podcast was audio only, available primarily through uh, you know the usual services like Apple uh, Podcasts, iTunes Podcasts, um, through Spotify and, and uh, what was the other one? Stitcher. Um, and I recorded those impromptu one take in my Kia SUV. And I would just record them. I'd pull over to a park. I'd record them. Um, they'd be, again, a stream of consciousness. Um, I would sort of plan out my topics for that episode. It would run about an hour or so, and I'd bail out. And I always felt like at the beginning when I was editing my podcast and trying to take out the pauses and the ums and the sneezes and everything else, I was spending so much time producing it that it wasn't fun for me. And it being a side project for me and nothing that I was deluding myself I was ever going to make a living at or even a, a little bit of a supplemental income, um, I decided I did, wouldn't go that way. It would just have to be the natural way for me, and that is just talking as if I'm in a conversation. But uh, it's a conversation with uh, the only person who's probably listening uh, to me, which is me. And um, a few people have, have, have liked it. Uh, they've been sweet enough to follow the Go Kicker podcast and all of its starts and stops. I had a couple really big life events that sort of ended the podcast, and then it restarted again later, and it <laughs> happened again. And then this last iteration, we thought that maybe we'd try to step up our game. I brought in a co-host. We are going to change it entirely to a comic book-based podcast. That didn't work either. Um, and... Uh, the postmortem on that is, is as Tim, the co-host uh, and a good friend of mine, uh, and I had talked about it and decided that really Goad Kicker works best when it's just about whatever Goad Kicker is about. And um, whether it's me uh, going on a ramble about some social issue related to nerd media or if it's a little review of something that I've partaken in here recently, it really is just uh, the only way that it stands out from everything else out there. Uh, there's, there's no goofy catchphrase. There's no bits. Uh, and um, for some people, it's uh, interesting enough for them to come back. So enough talk about who I am, what I am, and let's just get on with the show. And hopefully this will be the new platform for the Goad Kicker podcast. Um, one of the things I really wanted to talk about uh, on this first podcast is uh, this whole idea of being on the internet, of uh, being uh, a part of the internet community. Um, I live my life online. Um, I'm online all the time, more so than I probably should, more so than it's probably healthy. Um, I am involved with the different social media sites and um, I do a little bit of online gaming, but not much because I never, I don't really have a rig for it outside of a console. And to be honest with you, I don't have the time to do the stuff I want, but I'm constantly shopping and reading and going down rabbit holes online. And my kids have taken that on themselves. And so we've kind of become citizens of this, this, uh, this internet community. And many of you probably are too. A few of the people who are loyal Goad Kicker supporters and loyal supporters of me um, primarily, um, we'll never reach out to 
Twitch to see this happen live because it's another step uh, forward in this internet community, internet technology that they're not comfortable with or do they, they don't have a place for. So I do understand that. So that's why I'm going to record this and put it in its usual spots. And uh, hopefully people who actually get a kick out of this podcast can enjoy it at the, in the format that they enjoy, uh, that they prefer. Um, the internet is a weird place because there's not a lot of honesty on the internet. Um, there's a lot of polish, uh, sometimes, and sometimes there's a lot of rawness that, um, probably should be filtered a little bit that isn't. And you don't really get that real human being experience. It's not completely fake. I mean, we still make friendships. We still have communities. Um, people are still reaching out to help each other. Um, some of my best friends that I have now as a nearly 50-year-old adult, I've met because of the internet. And even people who live just across the river in Omaha, I've met through podcasts or through um, comic book convention, and they were there hosting uh, you know, uh, a table for their podcast or their store or something. So um, the internet has become sort of the new meetup for uh, those of us uh, who just don't hang out in bars and, and meet people or go to clubs anymore and watch concerts, you know, not that I was ever very outgoing in those settings anyway, uh, but you let your guard down a little bit. And unfortunately, some people, um, instead of just letting their guard down or maybe being on their best behavior, uh, there's this air of pretentiousness on the internet that's really hard to avoid. And I've always been very self-conscious about that, even though I know that I can be egotistical, which a lot of that is confidence that's um, that, that, that comes with the education that I've had and, and the path that I've had to take, kind of the school of hard knocks to get to where I am today, which is better than a lot of people in the world will have it, but not nearly where I want to be at 50 years old. And so I know that I carry this chip on my shoulder that comes off as egotistical sometimes and probably judgmental, <laughs> and I'll be honest about that. But, um, but I'm always self-conscious about being pretentious, and that feeds into that whole um, um, imposter syndrome uh, situation. It becomes an intrusive thought where you don't want to misrepresent yourself. And in a day and age when politicians are getting nailed for lying on resumes and things like that, you can understand uh, why some of us take those sorts of things more seriously. It's about your personal integrity, uh, being who you are. And I think really it's a punk rock ethos. It's just being real. Um, I know that like in uh, from Minor Threat, you know, constantly people are trying to drag him about that song he did with Minor Threat called Guilty of Being White. And He's always defended it appropriately about being a product of his specific situation at that specific time in a specific scene. And um, he's never done the big, you know, award tour, apology tour thing for that uh, to avoid being so-called canceled. You know, he's just been real. And I think that's sort of the at the heart of real punk rock uh, attitude is just kind of accepting who you are and not that you're afraid to grow, or that you won't ever apologize, but um, not being pretentious, uh, not intentionally going out of your way to be a part of a scene uh, or have a look. Um, you know, that's always been the best um, experience for me when it comes to interacting with an artist is when they just kind of are who they are. Um, it gets to be a little much. I know people adore Sonic Youth, but I always feel like they were scenesters, even though they created the scene 
you know, uh, a lot of times you'll hear stories about them sort of, you know, strategically and uh, politically attacking a party to make sure they bent the right ears and, and so on. And that always kind of turned me off a little bit. It took me a long time to come around to their music because they kind of seem like the snooty end of the pool um, versus uh, a lot of other um, bands that I was listening to at the time that just sort of were who they were. But digressing. Uh, what Goad Kicker is is a complete absence of that pretentiousness. This is just me talking about things that matter to me. Uh, sometimes I'll get interested in a particular hobby and it comes up multiple episodes in a row. And then sometimes I'll just quit talking about things altogether. And, um, you know, uh, I hope you can appreciate uh, that approach to podcasting. Um, one of the things I've been doing lately uh, since we abandoned the X-Men uh, experiment that Tim Benson and I were doing, uh, Tim Benson and I, of course, if you haven't been listening to the show, uh, started with the House of X, uh, Powers of X, or Powers of Ten, however you want to pronounce it, and um, and uh, started there, and we're going to read through the first year or two of the Hickman era of X-Men. Tim has been on a big X-Men binge for a couple years. He's a big fan, and, um, and I was going to go along for the ride. I've never been a big X-Fan. Um, we got about to the end of the first year, not even clear to it, because... Uh, I mean, that was like the COVID era of publishing, so it isn't so cut and dried as like 12 issues was a year, but uh, we flamed out on it. We didn't enjoy it. Talking about it wasn't fun. The comics were not good. Um, there were some of them that you could kind of argue certain merits for, but they didn't last, and a lot of that was both a reflection of Marvel at what they were going through at the time and Hickman being up his own butt with his boy genius and um, this, it was the perfect stew of something that just blew up both our uh, interest in doing a podcast in, about it, but damn near ruined uh, our interest in reading comic books altogether. And I was, you know, hip deep in Hulk comic books for this book that I'm writing. And, and it like I just didn't want to read anymore. I didn't want to journal. I didn't want to read. It was just not fun. So, um, you know, uh Every time you get into something like that, it's a learning experience. And I try to walk away from it trying to understand uh, what I didn't like about it so that, first of all, I won't repeat it in my own writing. Second of all, uh, so that uh, I can come out of it with some sort of positive educational moment. Um, the positive educational moment of reading all that X nonsense was that A, I will no longer buy Marvel trade paperbacks. <laughs> I just am done uh, unless it's something tried and true and it's in a nice uh, presented package that I just want to have on the shelf. Um, I'm not going to just buy volumized Marvel comic books anymore. I'll just read them on the app or not read them at all. I still have a little bit of a preference for ownership when it comes to comic books and books and, and media of all sorts. But I've, as many of you know, I've, I had this love hate relationship with amassing uh, material items. And so uh, it really, it's better and healthier for me not to just buy stuff to read it. Um, it just is a poor way to go about things. And this reinforced it. The other positive thing that I took away from this as an educational moment 
was um, I learned to love the Marauders. The Marauders is a series that either I have Stockholm Syndrome uh, or it was a fantastic series. And I'm starting to lean more and more towards the fact that it's a fantastic series. It definitely has a lot of flaws. It has all of Marvel's usual, you know, they have to cross over for events and things. So there's like three or four issues there right in the middle of this run that I've just skipped. Like nothing happens in them that's permanent. It all had to do with X of Swords and... I didn't want to read it, and um, and it's liberating to collect a comic book, a run of comic books, and just be okay with like a four-issue gap and being four issues away from owning every issue. I just don't care, and I don't want any part of it. I did get the um, Hellfire, Hellfire Gala episodes, even though that was a crossover, because they were handled very well, and it kept with developing the character's uh, towards the end of of their own um, arcs in this particular series, uh, they didn't feel throwaway. And matter of fact, one of the big things that happens at the Hellfire Gala, and this is maybe a, a spoiler alert for those of you who haven't read that, it's about a year old now, but um, someone murders the Scarlet Witch. And they address it only on one panel in the crossover issues. Um, and it's in the context of, of Emma Frost being upset that her party was ruined because she was upstaged because someone found Scarlet Witch murdered on uh, Krakoa uh, during the party. So, you know, it was delightfully scandalous, nothing that she was worried about really, but it upset her because it took the attention away from her and her many costume changes and um, I felt like it was in character and important to the developments that were going on in that series. So what the Marauder series is, for those of you who don't read Marvel or don't read um, the X-Comics, is, um, in short, the X-Men have become an isolated nation-state uh, centered on the island of Krakoa. Uh, they use, like, these bio-organic um, mystical gates that allow them to transport uh, all over the universe back to Krakoa and these gates seemingly only allow mutants through except for when they don't, uh, which is another wonderful Marvel thing. You know, the watcher doesn't interfere with Marvel history except for when he does, which is every time he shows up. But anyway, so they're isolated. Uh, they've gained a, quite a bit of political and, uh, and financial power. Um, they've synthesized some drugs that have basically ended uh, chronic illness as we know it, and they've released those drugs patent-free into the world and are distributing them uh, amongst the, the, the human population in exchange for sovereignty. Uh, of course, humans can't leave them alone, but you know that's part of the intrigue. Um, but that's the status quo. Uh, where the marauders come in is twofold. One um, is that uh, Kitty Pride, for some reason, can't traverse the, the gates. She can't. And, um, and so there's a lot of questions about why that is. Uh, but uh, she soon finds that she can access the island and leave the island via ship. And so she effectively becomes a pirate and um, does a lot of the smuggling and some of the, you know, secret ops, uh, the maritime ops. Usually it 
at um, not Kowloon, uh, Madripoor, uh, usually happening at Madripoor. Uh, and there's a significant black market, partially because the Hellfire Club, uh, under the leadership of Emma and um, the Black King, um, Shaw, uh, whatever his first name is, I'm going blank on it. But um, but uh, those two, of course, have a lot of intrigue and, and um, conniving at each other's expense. But but together, they run this sort of hellfire shipping company uh, where they smuggle uh, the drug and get that to poor populations and appropriately distributed through black market channels. And so ostensibly, they're on, it's like a war on drugs, but they're supplying the drugs as well. And it's a, it's a very fun. And Kitty gets uh, recruited by uh, Shaw and Emma to head up this sort of mutant pirate ship to kind of keep the peace. And it's fantastic. It's, it's Kitty Pride, who I've never really cared about um, in the Marvel continuity, but she's grown up and they let her grow up and she's fun. And, um, you know, she insists that people call her Catherine now and she's kind of cutting her own way through the world. Um, she still has, you know, an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other, unlike Emma, uh, and she listens to both, uh, but she's definitely starting to understand that there's uh, sort of some freedom in um, allowing herself to act against her better instincts. Um, Iceman's on the team. Uh, Pyro from uh, the Freedom Force is, I think, or maybe the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. I can't remember which one he was on. Maybe both, but uh, he's on the team as well. Uh, Bishop is on the team, a character I knew nothing of and who I famously thought was Cable. <laughs> I thought Cable was black for several years because uh, I thought he was Bishop and I was confused, but that's neither here nor there. And I'm forgetting someone else on the team. Oh, Lockheed. Lockheed's on the team. So good fun stuff. And the book is, you know, high seas adventure and in uh, a little bit of comedy, a lot of action, a lot of like covert ops, sort of, you know, plausible deniability, things that uh, Professor Xavier and Magneto don't really want the world to know mutants are involved in. Um, just a wonderful time. And um, there's a volume of it, about 26 issues, which was the first run that if you skip the events, is a fantastic self-contained series. Um, of course, it gets rebooted, as all things do with Marvel, and when it came back, it had different writers, and they went a completely different direction, and I haven't really connected with it. Um, so it's a one and done, and it's okay that things are like that. Mercifully so, uh, so we're not buying and spending so much time on one particular series um, when it's outlived its welcome. But I would encourage anyone who wants a little high adventure mutant action to jump in. I think even if you don't read the, the Hox Pox stuff and if you don't read any of the other associated um, mutant books with the new status quo, I think you'll be fine. And um, you'll get to see Kitty Pride do Kitty Pride stuff that she's never done before. And it's, it's wonderful. Um, one of the greatest moments, and this isn't really spoiling anything because it's been all over the covers. They even did a special cover of issue one, which sort of spoiled this happening, but um, it's old news now. Uh, Kitty Pride um, down on her luck, uh, feeling like an outcast amongst outcasts, 
and being recruited by these people who she traditionally saw as enemies or, and as evil and uh, doesn't really have a choice but to throw in with them, but then sort of learns how to be her own best agent at doing so. And she gets a tattoo, and those tattoos are on her knuckles, and on one hand it says hold, and on the other one it says fast. And that resonated with me almost immediately, and my friend Aaron, you know, when he saw it too, he was like, oh, that's outstanding. And it really is. It's really, it's neat. I, I wish this series was written just a little bit better and was a little more isolated from the usual Marvel nonsense because it could have been something legendary. But as it stands, especially with the status quo at Marvel right now, it's a very good series and I'm very pleased with it. Is it worth putting myself through all the Hickman garbage to uh, to experience? You know, time will tell, but, uh, but it's good. And um, it... Um, not to be overblown about it, but uh, it definitely rekindled this love that I have for reading comic books uh, coming out of that disastrous uh, forced march through the Hickman X-Men books. And um, I eventually found my way back to reading series again. And so, uh, so kudos to, uh, to Marauders for resurrecting my interest in comics when it was about ready to die again for a while. (laughs) So, Anyway, Marauders, I would check it out. And that's the last I'll probably mention of that whole read-through. We're putting it behind us. I'm going to try to find a way to get Tim on board with the future uh, Goat Kicker episodes again and get him involved. And we're not going to go any further with the X-Men. We're not going to do a post-mortem on it. We're not going to try to condense the issues we didn't talk about on air. It's, It's dead to us, and therefore it's going to be a dead topic on Goat Kicker. So... I'm going to take a quick break to wet my whistle. I'm going to put this on B-Rack Bat mode. It'll just be a couple minutes. Um, talk amongst yourselves. If you see my little raccoon here, uh, you can interact with that thing. If you look on my channel, I believe there's a panel um, there. You can interact with him. You can buy him uh, things. You can pet him, whatever. Um, feel free to goof around with that thing. But I will be right back. 